stumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five, what a way to make a living Barely getting by, it's all taking and no giving They just use your mind and they never give you credit It's enough to drive you crazy and you love Nine to five, for service and devotion All right, I want to welcome all of our campuses I want to welcome each week, every week, the men and women at the St. Tammany Parish Jail, Orleans Justice Center, and all of our campuses. Come on, let's just welcome them to week four of our series entitled Crazy. Yeah, finding calm in the chaos. If you weren't here last week, we spoke about that secret weapon the Bible talks about, and that is engaging with the Holy Spirit in prayer. I do want to say, uh, for those of you that maybe are guests or haven't been with us for a long time, man, any week that you miss, you can go online and download those messages. Today, today I want to talk to you about my crazy world. My crazy world. You don't want to miss next week. Uh, we're going to finish up the series in the week one of a brand new series. I'm going to be teaching the first week of September uh, through the book of Philippians. So today I want to talk to you about my crazy world. You know, when you think about all the things that are happening around us, I mean, just think about if you just pause and you think about all the political stuff that's happening around us, the economic, are we up? Are we down? The societal thing. The danger elements that we feel in culture, how, how people are concerned, people are fearful. Listen, if you happen to watch the news, I mean, no, you can have a panic attack halfway through. Here's the problem. The problem is there's so much fear around us. We have to be careful that the fear around us doesn't move on the inside of us. Here's what I found. Whenever my fear increases, my stress level increases. Whenever fear increases, your stress level increases. Interesting, I, I love football, and I'm so glad uh, that football is full swing. How many of y'all love the Saints? Come on now. Love them. We, uh, I, I don't have an opportunity all the time, obviously, to go to games on the weekends. I'll try to go once or twice a year. And Last year, I was invited, and a friend of mine, we went to a game, and we got two tickets. It was really cool. It was the game. Then Drew Brees beat the, the record. It's really awesome. But so there were two tickets on the plaza level, and which is the lowest level. And 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 we went. And as before the game, we started going around trying to find our seat. And it was so crowded. Remember my thesis: as your fear level increases, your stress level increases. It was so crowded. We got to one point as we were going around, and we literally got stuck. Like there were so many people, nobody was moving. Now I started looking around, kind of evaluating like what's going to happen. Then I started contemplating some scenarios and some nega thought, what would happen if there's an emergency? Of course, I was the only one who really cared because <laughs> I was the only sober person there. Come on, you know, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue. But anyway, so I began to think, now watch this. As, my, as your fear level, everybody say fear. As your fear level increases, whatever it is in life, here's what happens. Your stress level increases. See, we've got to figure out how to reduce fear so we can lower our stress. 
See, stress comes when we, uh, when we engage, what I would call, when we are engaged with what are called stressors, external stimuli. There's things in culture. There's things that you look at. There's things that you read. There's things that you hear about. There's things that are happening to us on a daily basis. And what happens is all of this external stimuli produces inside of us stress. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see something fearful, you hear about something fearful, next thing you know, your heart rate starts going up. First of all, adrenaline is released in your system. Your heart rate starts going up. Your heart rate starts pounding like this. You can feel it. Your palms start sweating. What's happening is, as your fear level is increasing, as you, what is fear? Fear is the perception of impending danger. By the way, albeit whether it's real or perceived, you have the same physiological response. So your heart rate starts going up. You start feeling all of this toxicity on the inside. So the issue is we've got to learn to address our fear so we can lower our stress. Are y'all with me? You know what's interesting? I began to think about this in the Bible. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. What is the most, and this is a quiz, all right? I want every one of our campuses, our South Shore and Gulf Coast, everyone that's joining us, here's a little quiz. What do you think the most encouraged command in the Bible is? Let me just say this. The, the, the thing that God encourages humanity with the most, all right? He says something and he wants us to, 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 to respond to this. Here it is. It's not more, be more loving. It's not be more humble. Be humble. How I many you know we ought to all be humble? It's not be more kind. But the most common, what I would call admonition, which is a, a strong encouragement that God gives humanity in the Bible. You guys ready for this? It is, here it is, it is fear not. Matter of fact, 366 times in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? 366 times in the Bible, God says, everybody say it, say it, fear not. Why is that? Because he knows that every day when we get out of bed, there's this long bony finger called fear that's pointing at us, trying to get us to believe lies about ourselves, believe lies about our future. And he knows that the enemy, listen, if the enemy can paralyze us with fear, he can immobilize us in our destiny. He can cause us to, to, to either take a, do to, a detour or to just cause us to, to remain stationary because we don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to risk anything. We don't want to step out. We don't want to attend a small group. We don't want to pop the question. We don't want to go back to school. Why? Because of fear. 366 times in the Bible. Fear not. Everybody say fear not. By the way, that's why Paul told Timothy. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible says, for God has not given us a spirit of what? Say it. Fear. I had a person tell me one time, Pastor, I just feel like this fear thing, I've dealt with it my whole life. Maybe it's, look, watch this, bad theology. Maybe it's my cross that God's given me to bear. God does not give you a spirit of fear to humble you. That's called demonic. Are y'all with me? Pull that scripture up again. For God has not any fear in your life, sir, any phobias in your life. God did not give those to you. Are you with me? Either your fallen nature or a demonic spirit, the enemy himself is trying to paralyze you through fear. Because here's what he knows. When fear increases, stress increases. When your fear level increases, stress increases. Another word for fear is phobia. And by the way, phobia is a dread of something. It's, it's to be terrorized or to anticipate something bad happening. That's why God tells us, fear not. Everybody say it. Come on. Fear not. 
Be strong. Fear not. 366 times. We are not to allow phobias to come into our lives. We're not to allow fear. We are to attack fear. Some of you guys have heard the story about a year, actually for a whole year after becoming a Christian, I dealt with a literal spirit of fear that tormented me at nighttime and how God enabled me by his spirit, and by his word to overcome that. Fear is a real thing. Why? Because the enemy knows if he can get your fear level to rise, he can get your stress level to rise and he can decrease the quality of your life. Jesus died on the cross, not just to forgive you of your sins. That's the ultimate, but also to give you the abundant life that he purchased for you. What is the abundant life? Righteousness, life, and joy, and peace. So phobias and fears. Let me give you some common phobias. Maybe they're not too common, but here's some, some phobias. Glossophobia. What's that? The fear of public speaking. Do you know that freshmen in college will still say one of their greatest fears is public speaking? That, that infamous speech class that they've got to do in college. And I think it's still a requirement. People got to do that. Here's another one. Gammophobia. What is that? The fear of marriage. Some of you have that. Anyway, so single people. Here, here's another one. Here's another one. Blenophobia. Let me tell you what blenophobia is. That's the fear of slime. I have that. I really mean that. I have a nine-year-old daughter that thinks it's cool to make slime. So she makes slime. And, oh, dad, this is slime. And she'll, she'll try to get me to touch. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. That's demonic. No, dad, that's not demonic. What does that mean, demonic? But anyway, there's, there's a little thing. Here, here's, here, here's another one. Penera Phobia. What is that? It's the fear of your mother-in-law. <laughs> Don't raise your hand if you have that one. Do not do that. Come on. You have to go to a marriage class, man. Do not. That's a literal fear that something. I don't have that fear. I have a great, great mother-in-law. Fear, fear will cost you. Fear will eradicate your joy. It'll cost you. It really will. It can paralyze you. Why? Because when your fear level increases, your stress level increases. Really interesting verse this week I found in the book of Jeremiah. Look what it says about fear. Remember my thesis today. Again, we're finding calm and crazy. And if we're going to find calm, we've got to reduce our stress. We've got to attack fear because when fear increases, our stress level increases. Watch what this says. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, do not fear them for they can do you no harm nor can they do you any good. Scarecrows are interesting, particularly as we get into harvest time and in the fall. It's, I remember as a kid, we, you know, you, 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 uh, what is a scarecrow? The purpose of a scarecrow, right, is a farmer puts a scarecrow in the middle of a field. So when little enemy birds come in and try to take seed or just whatever, they're scared away, right? Some of you guys know that I'm a, a, a wannabe golfer. Have no fear. I'm not going to be called up to the senior tour anytime soon. Just want to let y'all know that. Uh, I am getting a lot better. Can beat most of y'all in the church. But anyway, so I say that humbly. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But so, so I was, I, I like to play golf by myself and I'll probably play twice a month, maybe three times a month. on a Friday afternoon. I'm off on Fridays and Friday, I'll, I'll play. It's kind of my downtime, my Sabbath and and it was interesting. I was playing a couple of weeks ago and I, I went up on this, on this, on the green and I brought my putter and I'm walking over to, to, to kind of line up my shot. And I look over and there's a pond. And as I look over, there's a coyote right there. And I take, I take my club. First of all, I screamed. All right. <laughs> like a little, but anyway. And so, so, I went, ah! you know, and so I had my club and I'm getting, listen, I'm this, I'm not making this up. I, I had my club and I was about to throw my club at the coyote to protect myself. 
And I looked at it and I realized it wasn't real. It was a, a, a mannequin, I guess, or whatever you call it. It was a fake coyote. And then I realized the reason why it was there was to scare off the geese. How many of you know we're going to have 15 coyotes at our Little Creek campus? We're going to be overrun. Tell all the geese in the world the coyotes are at Church of the King. But anyway, so now I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about this. This is interesting. I'm getting ready to putt. I see a coyote. It's not a real coyote. It's a scarecrow coyote, all right? But I have a physiological response because my fear level went up. Guess what else went up? My what? Say it, my stress level. Adrenaline dropped in my body. My heart rate went up, and I was getting ready to attack a cardboard coyote. (laughs) But it was all false. It was all a lie. How many times are we attacking things that we don't realize they're not true? The fact is our heart rate goes up because fear, you're going to lose everything. You're not going to amount to anything. You can never break that addiction in your life. (gasps) Oh gosh, it's a lie. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, are y'all with me or not? You're an overcomer in Jesus Christ. We're not going to let a scarecrow, we're not going to let a false coyote back us off from what God has for our lives. Fear is a lie. Some of you may remember, this will age me a little bit, the columnist Ann Landers. How many of y'all remember that? Come on, y'all remember Ann Landers? She was very popular. She re- Listen, this is true. She received up to 10,000 letters a week, and she was once asked, what is the most common problem that you're asked to deal with. She emphatically said, without a doubt, the problem of fear. She says, most letters that I get are related to people battling, watch this, with fears, anxieties, and concerns. Wow. I did receive a funny email a while back, and it said this. It reads, Daddy, are you afraid of spiders? The dad said, no. How about boogeyman? No. Thunder, no. Are you afraid of ghosts? No. Little Joshua said, then I guess only mom you're scared of, Dad. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Don't raise your hand about that one either. The truth is, the truth is we've got to learn, we've got to learn to conquer our fears. The fact is, is that when our fear, pastor, how do I get to a place of peace in my life? How do I get to a place of solace in my life? I feel so tormented. There's so many things that are happening on the outside. Watch this. And I want to make sure that those things don't move from the outside to the inside and paralyze my future, and paralyze me moving forward, and paralyze me and my ability to navigate life, and even hear from God and obey God. You know, fear can cause you to not obey God. God can tell you something, fear says something else to you, and you can can hold back. I've got about 20 minutes, and I want to unpack for you a biblical character. I like teaching through books of the Bible. I'll be doing that this fall. I do that twice a year, but, but I want to talk to you about a character in the Old Testament who was dealing with fear and dealing with stress. And I'm going to give you a couple things out of his life of how he was over to, able to overcome it. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. I think about people in the scripture who have faced fear and stress and overcame it. I think that Gideon is one of the greatest examples in all of the Bible. Somebody that understood fear, somebody that was living in fear and stress, and yet God spoke to him 
God empowered him and how he was over to come that. See, here's what I believe, that some of you right now, you're dealing with fear and overwhelming amounts of stress. God wants you to drive fear out of your life so you can lower stress so that you can obey God. God does, listen to me. God does not want any single person who's listening to me any of us enslaved by fear. God has not given you fear as a cross to make you humble. Fear comes from the enemy and we need to drive it out. We need to drive it out in Jesus name. Judges chapter six. I'm going to pick up right there. I'm going to read this story. Then I'm going to pull three or four things out at the end to equip you guys so that you can take this with you, how to overcome fear and reduce stress in your life. Here's what the Bible says. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Verse two. And the hand of Midian, those were some, some enemies on the, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves dens and caves. So in other words, these Midianite people that were on the eastern side of the Jordan River, kind of modern day Jordan, Moab, ancient Moab, kind of in that land, the reality is, is that the, 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 the children of Israel had inherited the promised land, modern day Israel area, Canaan land. And these Midianites were kept attacking them so much so, they were so scared, they, they, they were relegated to living in caves, in dens. They were so scared. And they had strongholds, which are in the mountains. Look at verse 3 here. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, they were sowers of seed. And they would, it was an agricultural environment. They would plant seed. And the Midianites would quickly come in and try to steal the seed. And also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Look at verse 4. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. Doesn't that sound familiar? The Gaza Strip. We hear about that today, even in the news, right? And leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor oxen nor donkey. Let me stop right there. God is God's chosen people, right? The Hebrew people were now living in fear. They were enslaved living in fear in caves and dens. Again, I say this respectfully, but sometimes when we hear about Afghanistan, for, for example, Osama bin Laden years ago, he was hiding in caves, right? It's a mountainous region. And, and when you begin to understand the Middle East, that you can, you, can, you can really hide out in these places. And that's exactly where God's people were relegated to based upon fear, not based upon God's plan, but based upon fear. Fear of who? Fear of the Midianites. They would come in they would steal their produce. They would steal the, they would steal the, as they would begin to sow. And, and now God's people, listen to me, were locked up living in fear, living in stress, living in worry. I want to ask you, how many of you feel like you've been locked up by the enemy? Where the enemy just has free course to come into your family, come into your life, come into your business. And he just feels like he can just do whatever he wants. So much so that you've now been relegated to living locked up, locked up in your potential, not really doing what God's called you to do, not really achieving what God, not, be, not becoming. That's what the enemy wants. He wants to paralyze you with fear and worry and stress. That's what's happening right here. Verse five, I'm just going to read through this story and pull out a couple points for they would come up with them with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as the locusts. That's a lot. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy the land. Look at verse six. So Israel was greatly impoverished. They, would, they were spiritually bankrupt. They were emotionally, mentally, even financially because of the Midianites, the enemy. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Look at verse seven. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, verse eight, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, 
who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. Look at verse 9. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. In other words, I delivered you once. What makes you think I won't deliver you again? Remember the book of Exodus is when they were delivered from bondage. They were in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And now, because of the enemy, they're living in fear. They, 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 they'd made some poor choices. They got themselves hooked up and hung up with some bad practices. And now the enemies just come in and now they're living in fear. And, and God says, listen, I delivered you once. What makes you think I won't deliver you again? How often we quickly forget what God's done in our lives. We forget what it was like before we were Christians. We forget how God delivered us and how God saved us and how God did miracles. If I asked for a show of hands, how many of y'all would say, how many of you remember miracles in your life? And yet we come to moments in our lives and we forget. We forget. God delivered us once. God will do it again. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was a miracle worker in our past. He'll be a miracle worker in our presence. He'll be a miracle worker in our future. Why have we forgotten that? Why have they given in to the enemy's lies? Matter of fact, I was thinking about the Red Sea. I remember hearing, I've been to Bible college and seminary and all those different things. I, I remember hearing an actual seminary professor say this one time. He says, let me just tell you, if anybody understands oceanography, I happen to take oceanography at Tulane, by the way. I took that class, oceanography. because I just took it. It was a science. It was easier than biology. But anyway... And so I wasn't as smart as you guys. So, so he said, if anybody understands oceanography and the low tides and high tides, a theologian actually said this. He says, well, let me tell you exactly what happened at the Red Sea. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Is that it was low tide. There wasn't a miracle there that the children of Israel were able to walk across the Red Sea at low tide, to which I immediately said, well, that's a bigger miracle than because Pharaoh's army drowned in low tide. I'm an oceanographer-ist, whatever that is. It doesn't take a high IQ to figure that one out. I mean, oh, God is a miracle-working God, and God wants to step into your life today. God doesn't want you living oppressed by the enemy. God doesn't want you living beaten down by the works of hell. God wants you rising up in faith, because here's what the enemy knows. If your fear level increases, your stress level will increase. Here's what God knows. If your faith level increases, your stress level will decrease. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Azurite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Hide it. Here it is. The children of Israel have been emotionally, mentally, financially, physically stripped. They were stripped of their dignity. They were stripped of their self-worth. They were stripped of their confidence. And they're hiding out, scared of life. How many of you guys could relate to that? I don't know. But God doesn't want us stripped. God doesn't want us stripped of our dignity. God doesn't want us stripped of our self-worth. God wants us bold and confident, humble before him, but bold in our assignment that he's given us. Let me give you four things that we learned from Gideon's life because God shows up big time. Number one, pastor, what do I do? I'm living in fear and my stress level is off the charts. What do I do? Number one, what do the children of Israel do? We've got to learn to respond with a cry for help to God. Look at verse six. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Everybody say cried. 
They cried out not to themselves, but they cried out to the Lord. Right in the middle of our crazy, we've got to lift our voice to God. Why do we try everything else but God? Why is God our last resort, not our first touch? Are you with me? Well, I've tried everything else. I might as well try God. Why do we have to expend all of our energy, all of our resources to finally come to the end of ourselves? Here's what I know. That people that are really ready to change have become sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because when you get sick and tired of living in fear, you get sick and tired of living in sin patterns and addictions, and you're like, time out. I don't want to live this way. This is not healthy. Me living in a cave, hiding from the enemy, that's not healthy. You living in your house freaked out, okay? Not having confidence to move forward in God's assignment for your life. Not moving confidently forward professionally. Not, listen, that's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is for you to be a confident person in God. Humble before God, but confident in the assignment that God has for your life. God doesn't want you freaked out, burned out, browned out, withered out. Oh man, everything in the world is all so bad. I actually heard somebody who was a Christian this week, a couple say this. I I literally heard it on a podcast that said they did not want to have children because they were so scared of having children and bringing them into this wicked world because of social media today. I thought to myself, first of all, they've always had challenges and problems. As Christians, what are we all going to do? Go to Montana and wait for Jesus to come back? That'd be a pretty nice place to go, but I'm not, listen, I mean, you know, we need to be bold and confident. We're not going to go hide in some den and cave and just because there's a big, bad boogeyman out there. Don't get me preaching. All right. I got a microphone in my hand. I feel a little fired up when I do that. The Bible says in Psalms 34, it says this, I sought the Lord. He heard all my fear and he delivered me from all of my fears. Question, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you sick and tired of living with that anxiety? Are you sick and tired of living with that fear? Are you sick and tired of where you are in life professionally? Are you sick and tired of of going through one bad relationship and another bad relationship? There's something we, we need God to break in. You guys know the story. You've heard it before. One year, 12 months, maybe about 10 to 12 months, me living in fear after becoming a Christian. I got sick and tired of living in fear. And I did something about it. Pastor Doug Arman, disciple me, memorize scripture. Steve, roll out of the bed, speak the word, attack that thing in your life. God, you, you, listen, until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're going to live in a cave. I don't want you to live in a cave. God doesn't want you to live in a cave. I don't want to live in a cave. Number two, the second thing we see here is recognize who God is. Look at verse 11 and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Azurite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. But the angel of the Lord appeared to them. In other words, they recognized who God was. Isn't it amazing how we often deify fear in our lives? To deify something is to make it a godlike status. So what we do is we elevate fear in our lives where fear begins to define our lives. Fear begins to define our future. We elevate fear. Now, let me just explain just something just to touch theologically. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, when the angel of the Lord shows up, there's two things. Number one, sometimes it's an actual angel. Sometimes it's what's called a theophany. A theophany is a pre-incarnate state where Christ all right, appears in the Old Testament. By the way, that happened in the book of Exodus to Moses, where Christ himself showed up in a bush and the bush was burning, but it didn't burn up. 
Do y'all remember that when Moses was called? Whether it's the pre-incarnate state of Christ, whether it's an angel or it's a divine being, here's the point. The point is God in his power shows up and here's what his message is to Gideon. Here it is. You ready for this? And I learned this from veggie tales. <laughs> All right. I learned this 50, some of the deepest theology I've ever learned. Yes, from Veggie Tales. You guys ready for this? And you need to watch Veggie Tales. You need to dig this out of the past. And here it is, because here's what Gideon found out. Number one, here it is. God is bigger than the boogeyman. God is bigger. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Y'all remember that? I don't care what the boogeyman says to you. God's bigger than that. God's bigger than your fears. God's bigger than your anxieties. He's bigger than your worries. He's bigger than your present situation. And God, listen, God showed up. He showed up in a big way. And he looks at Gideon, begins to have a discussion with Gideon. Number one, we've got to break the silence. Everybody say, break the silence. We've got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. We've got to go to God. Number two, we've got to recognize that God is bigger than our challenges. He's bigger than our problems. It begins to shift our perspective. God is awesome. God is big. God is bigger than anything that we're going through in life. And by the way, he cares about you. He's not just able, but he's willing to do something about it. Number three, when we understand how big God is, we begin to realize who we are. Gideon began to realize who he was. Watch this. This is one of the most important. The next two points are so important. Please stay with me. I got six or seven minutes. This is going to really help some people. Number one, when you break the silence and you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, wherever you are in your life. Number two, you recognize the vastness of God. God is bigger than the boogeyman in your life. Number three, watch this. When you begin to realize who you are in God. First, who God is. Number two, who you are in God. Look at Judges chapter six, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I want you to think, think about this for a moment. Think about this. Gideon is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. I don't know a lot about that, but I do know this. When you thresh wheat, you're separating the wheat and the chaff. You're going, you usually do that outside in the open. Why? So the wind blows it away and you kind of get the purity of it. Let me tell you, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press hiding in a cave unless you're scared. How many of us are functioning at half speed because of fear? How many of us are functioning at half speed of life because of fear and stress? It shuts down our higher critical thinking skills. Do you know that stress actually shuts down your ability to think at high levels? Because you go into an adrenalized state, but you actually go into that fight and fight, fight or flight moment where you don't even make good decisions. But the problem is when your fear level increases, your stress level increases. If we can get our fear level to decrease and learn how to attack fear by breaking the silence, by recognizing that God's bigger than the boogeyman, and number three, recognizing who we are. Notice what God tells. Listen, this is so powerful. Notice what God tells a man who's in fear, hiding in the wine press. Notice what he says to him. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of what? Say it. Valor. Now, let me just say this. This is a euphemism. Say what? A mighty man of valor. He's hiding. Let me tell you, when I read this, here's what I realized. God deals with us based upon our potential. God doesn't see you as a scared, broken down, victimized, beat up, but he sees you as a woman of God, a man of God, anointed of God, of what you can become in God. How many are grateful that God always sees you based upon how he created you? 
God looks at you, and by the way, he looks at you and says, you're a mighty man of God. I'm a mighty man of God. I'm hiding. Well, I know you're hiding, but I know what you can be in me. I know what you can accomplish in me. If you'll connect with me, some of you that have never connected with God, and you're trying to do life apart from God, if you'll connect with God and surrender to Christ, and you, and, and the, the, you never discover who you are till you discover who he is. He's the manufacturer. We're the product. Don't you think he knows how we tick best? He says, oh, mighty man of valor. Wow. Mighty man of valor. I don't feel like a mighty man. I don't feel it. By the way, we have a little thing around here called man of God. And we'll tell people that man of God. So we'll, we'll, we'll do like our team, our set. We'll go mock on the end. You're a mock. What is a man? You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. What, is, what, is that? what does that mean? We're speaking into them. How many of you know there's times I don't feel like a mighty man of God? I feel weak. I feel insecure sometimes. And I love when somebody will come by me. Josh Holliday is one of the great people that do that. He oversees all of, our, all of our jails and our prison ministry. And Josh is watching right now. But Josh will always, he always, first of all, he's tall. So he's tall. He's like 6'3". He's like, how you doing, man of God? I'm like, woo, you get just lifted. How many of you know we got to watch our words, what we're saying over people? We've got to lift people to what God's created them to be and not lower them to where the enemy wants them to be. Come on, are y'all with me? Oh man, I should say this. Should I say this? Should I say this? I'm going to do it. <laughs> Ladies, some of you want your husbands to be something that they're not. Why don't you speak it over them what you desire them to be according to God's word? Men, some of you, why don't you call your husband a man of God before he is? God sees you as a man of God. Women, why don't you, late, men, why don't you say that about your wives? God sees you as a woman of God by faith, by faith. Quit dealing with everything in the natural realm. Aren't you glad that God doesn't deal with us based upon what we were, but what we can become in him? Come on, how many are grateful for that? Let me give you this last and final thing and I'll close. This last, look what it says. Verse in, uh, number four, receive God's provision of peace. Oh, this is so powerful. Receive God's provision of peace. Number one, break the silence. Everybody say, break the silence. You got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired, sir. Ma'am, you got to get sick and tired and saying, I don't want to live this way. In a, I don't want to live in a cave hiding anymore. God's calling you out of that into a place of confidence before him. Humility before God and confidence in God. Number two, God's bigger than any fear that you have. Any fear, any lie of the enemy, any scarecrow in your life, God's bigger than that. And he doesn't want you taking cues from scarecrows. He wants you taking cues from his word and the power of his spirit. Number three, God begins to speak to you and calls you out into what he created you to be. A mighty man of God, a mighty woman of God. And as you understand this, watch this, then there's a gift that he gives us. We talked about it last week. There's a gift that he gives us. It's the gift of peace where we can move confidently. Watch this. Receive God's provision of peace. Well, look at verse 23 and 24. Let me pause. I want to say this to all of our campuses. There's eight compound names, eight compound Hebrew names. There's more, but basic eight compound Hebrew names in the Old Testament declaring the identity of who God is. You've heard me say this before, Jehovah Rapha. Everyone say Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is our healer. Jehovah Yireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Do you know that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 
the unveiling of who God is by way of this concept happens in this verse. I saw this this week. Watch what the Lord says. And the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Look at verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it. The Lord is, come on, say it, peace. You know what the Hebrew word for that is? Shalom. If you go to Israel, I've been to Israel three times. One of the things they'll say, the salutations, actually sometimes it's a greeting, sometimes it's a, it's shalom. Everyone say shalom. Here's what it is. Be endued with God's peace. He told Gideon, Gideon, there's some enemies out there that you're going to go drive them out, but you're not going to do it in frantic energy. You're not going to go into your professional assignment. Watch this freaked out, burned out. You're going to walk in my peace. Wouldn't that be great? You guys have huge assignments in your day. You're dealing with all these situations. Wouldn't that be amazing professionally and personally to be able to engage those with a confident peace from God? Oh man. Cause here's what I know. When my fear level goes up, my stress level goes up, but when my faith level goes up, my stress level goes down. And I have faith that God is with me. We, we need faith that God has called us. And then all of a sudden, we walk in the shalom of God. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward right now. The peace of God. Maybe you need prayer. If you're not sure about Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads right now. Just give me one moment. i got one minute. If you're in this place today, you say, Pastor, the truth is I'm not at peace with God. I'm not sure if I even die today. I'm ready to stand before God. I literally have one minute. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. And then our altar is going to be open for prayer. If you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure about my relationship with this God. I, I, I'm not sure if I die today. I'm ready to stand before God. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. Jesus loves you. God the Father sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you to be buried, to be raised on the third day, to to defeat hell, death, and the grave so that you can have eternal life. Do you know Christ? The Bible says whoever calls upon that name, I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. Your uncle can't save you. Your wife can't. Jesus saves. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God at the count of three? I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you, but right where you're sitting, or right where you're standing at all of our campuses, or those that are joining us online, or those that are in our jails and prisons right now, those that are Facebook Live, I just want everybody to listen to me. If you say, Pastor, I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. I want to pray for you, the count of three. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. You know who you are. One, two, three. Quickly, put your hand up high so I can pray for you. Say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, sir. God bless you here up front. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Pastor, I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship. God bless you, hunt in the back. Just raise your hand if you say, Pastor, I need God bless you and you as well up top. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, church, let's pray with those that are trusting Christ at all of our campuses. Come on, let's pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say this, say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this last thing. Say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, the word of God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want everybody to look at me. Give me 15 seconds. Here it is. If you prayed and trusted Christ, there's a card behind your chair. I'm going to ask you to fill it out and do one of two things. Guest sent. Actually, there's some pastors out. They'd love to be able to talk to her up front. Our altar's open for anybody that needs prayer. Let me pray a blessing. Father, bless your people as they go forth this day. May the grace of God, may the shalom of God, may the peace of God, may they be empowered with God's peace. May we find calm in the crazy world in which we live. Lord, I bless your people as they go forth. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said?